6.30, the Kairos gathering will begin. You're welcome to be here. Uh, there will be no Thursday Zoom Bible study this week. Tithes and offerings, we have uh, boxes on the back wall. You can mail your tithes and offerings to the church at P.O. Box 67, 10 Strike, Minnesota, 56683, or give online at 10strikechurch.com. Um, if you know Sue Steinhorst, she is a part of our church family. She has been diagnosed with uh, cancer of the pancreas. We are believing in Jesus' name that he is exalted over the name of cancer. I should have closed my eyes and started praying already, but we agree in Jesus' name. You are the healer. You are Sue Steinhorst's healer, and we stand with her for complete healing in Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Tim Waller to share uh, a family bit. Thank you, so. Yeah, good morning. I'm going to tell you a story today about a man maybe a lot of you knew. His name is Malin Waller. I called him Dad. <clears throat> anyway, and on October 24th, 1944, Dad landed in France to start his tour of World War II. In November, he turned 20 in a foxhole someplace in France. <clears throat> About a month later, he was, his group was uh, told to head north. So they were heading north, staying in the woods. And they didn't know where they were going, but they were going to a place that we call today the Battle of the Bulge. Well, they came to a field. It was about 100 yards across. And they decided to run a single file across that field. And the first bunch made it okay. And the second bunch made it okay. And they thought, well, maybe the Germans aren't around here. So the third bunch started across, then the mortars came. And it killed the second guy, fourth guy, sixth one, eight, and ten. The odd number guys, one, three, five, seven, nine, and eleven, were wounded out in the field. <clears> or <throat> well, nine. The number nine and 11 guy, they were easy to get back into the woods. And the number one guy was also easy to get back to the woods because he was just about across. But numbers three, five, and seven were left out in the field. And whenever they tried to get them, a machine gun opened up on them. So they had to wait till it was close to dark. And then they got those three guys out. One of them was dead. And they brought him down to the medic, medic hospital. And they were able to get out all the uh, shrapnel and that type of stuff. But both legs below the knee were shot up pretty bad. <clears throat> and so they sent him out to the main hospital in France where they fixed his left leg. Both bones and that leg below the knee were broken and so they fixed it put it in a cast and the cast 
they had to remove later to get to, so they could take the stitches out of his leg where they stitched up where all the uh, shrapnel had gone in. His right leg, however, was a different story. They didn't know quite what to do with that mess. There was three and a half inches of the bone gone, plus all the muscle, plus there was no, and the nerve endings. So they flew him up to London. And when he got to London, then they started working on that leg. The doctors were in his room one day and they were con, kind of arguing and they were saying, I thought he had three and a half inches of his leg bone gone. And they said, that's what we were told. And they said, well, there's only two inches, so somebody's wrong. And Dad kind of heard him arguing, and he interrupted him and said, uh, not necessarily, Doc. I have my mother and my girlfriend and, and a lot of other people back home praying for me. So whatever happens, don't be surprised. <clears throat> and... Later on, that leg did grow back together. And the doctors just shook their head because that don't happen. And I remember later on, when I was about 10, I saw some x-rays of that leg. And that bone was growing together, but most of your shin bone is straight. And his kind of went down for about three and a half inches and came back up. It was like stretching a piece of bubble gum. You could see the lines where it had straightened out, plus a couple of indentations and looked like maybe even a hole or two in that bone. But it was connected and, and it was fine. The only problem was now, he had to learn how to walk. And he was in London for about six, eight months. And then they finally got him back home, where he was shipped around to several hospitals. And he, <clears throat> they had to teach him how to walk all over again because the muscles were gone. There was no nerve endings. And the only thing that kept his leg together was that small bone behind on the back side. And <clears throat> they had to teach him how to walk with a drop foot. And he learned how. In fact, he learned really well. He was in the hospitals about two years before he finally got home. <clears throat> and in those two years, he not only strengthened his faith, but he was strengthened his legs as well. And when he got home, he was able to walk down the aisle to get married without a crutches. But he had been on crutches for a long time. And he had them there, but didn't use them. 
Well, I remember again later when I was, when I came around, I was about 10, and we were out swimming, and I, that was the first time I really noticed Dad's legs. His left leg was in pretty good shape, but there were still scars and, and lines and weird things that were going on from the shrapnel. But his right leg, I couldn't figure out. It was just still, it looked terrible. <clears throat> he had scars and, and it, it was just the, 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 what was there, the bone and the muscles and, and his ankle. There was no muscle in his calf. And you could see that too because that was indented. But he had a he had a couple of really kind of a white patches up on his thigh. And they were about four inches wide by about eight inches long. And I asked him, I said, what are those rectangles? Why are they so different than the rest of your skin? And he said, well, they had to do a skin graft because not only was the bone and muscle and everything shot away, but there was no skin there to put it back together. So they took those two pieces off my thighs and put one in the front and one in the back and sewed them on. You can see the scars where they did that. And even now I can think of that and I thought, Boy, that would really hurt, taking those layers of skin off and putting them down on his other part of the leg. The only good thing about it all was that he had no feeling below his knee. So they could operate and do whatever they wanted to, and he didn't feel anything. But as time went on, he was able to move around, and it didn't stop him from doing anything like you and I could do. He'd go out deer hunting, walk way back into the woods, get on a stand, even make a couple of drives. He'd go duck hunting, walk through the woods again in the bogs to get to the pond to hunt ducks. Grouse hunting, fishing, pushing, getting the boat on and off the uh, trailer by himself and then he started doing other things he joined the Gideons he preached all over with the Gideons he shared Jesus whenever he had a chance to and he one thing he did do was he prayed before every meal whether or not there were people there, if we were there, he would pray out loud. There was other people, he'd just bow his head. After a couple of minutes, he'd sit up and start eating. And a lot of people knew that and saw that. Even that little thing. I remember the hunting gang, when Dad came and sat down at the table they noticed dad would bow his head and 
after a minute or two, look up, and then he started eating. <clears throat> I remember out at the sawmill in Montana where my grandparents worked. He'd do the same thing. And there, they were pretty impressed on that, and an old guy named Hector noticed that Dad was praying before each meal. And he would stop. And he wouldn't pray or anything, but he'd stop and just wait till Dad was done. And that, the last time we were out there, <clears throat> it was Hector and Big John and a few others that were all doing it now. And they knew it was our last day, and so Hector got up and in his broken speaking, because he had polio when he was a kid, so he had a hard time walking and talking, and he asked Dad to pray for the sawmill guys. <clears throat> and, of course, he did. And every time, <clears throat> and every time he prayed for somebody like, for some place like that, he would always mention that Jesus had died on the cross for them. So wherever he went, there was a lot of places that would ask him to say the blessing, whether it was a community meal, a potluck dinner, birthdays, uh, or whatever. And he would get up and say his prayer. Besides that, he would always visit people. When they retired, they really visited a lot of people up here. They would go visit friends and relatives, in-laws and outlaws, and they'd go down to uh, Calvin's uncle Floyd or Lloyd, and he'd visit with Lloyd Torkelson for a while. And one thing I learned about Dad just last week that Phyllis told me was that. Phyllis' neighbor named Buttermeyers, Phyllis and Clarence had been trying for years to, to witness to him and talk to him about Jesus, and they couldn't get any place. <clears throat> and now Harry Buttermeyer was getting sick. He was in the hospital. Phyllis gave Dad a call to go visit him, and he did. The next day, Harry Buttermeyer died and went to heaven. For some reason, he listened to Dad. And Dad got through to a lot of people that way. And he, he went to see people all the time. And he gave away hundreds of Gideon Bibles. <clears throat> I remember one other time when I was a kid, there was a bum that came to church. His name was Jerry. And he, he was a real live bum, not like the one we had here named Freddie. And if you don't know who Freddie is, ask Andrew or Bob Bush or somebody. And Jerry was a real bum. And of course, Dad invited him over for dinner. And I was a junior high, and I thought, oh, no, not this guy. But he came over and had dinner with us. Then Dad brought him over to the 
St. Paul Mission gave him a Bible and left him there so he had a place to stay. Mom and Dad were youth leaders at the church. Dad taught Sunday school every place he was at. He served the Lord, like it says, with gladness. And he didn't, he also, he didn't care if he had money to do stuff or not. One thing in the youth group, he would take, if he could get a couple other drivers, take a bunch of us over to Souls Harbor and a couple other places. And on the way home, we'd stop at this place where he could get a hamburger and french fries and a shake for 45 cents. And, and it was the only one around like, that did that. But now there's all kinds of them because it's known as McDonald's. <clears throat> but if the kid didn't have enough money, he'd buy it for him. The kid couldn't get to Bible camp, he'd buy, he'd get his way there. In fact, we had a family in the church who was, who's a, whose husband had died of cancer. And they eventually they had to move back to their home, homestead up in Webster, Wisconsin. They made it with their old 1948 Ford, but it didn't last long. So dad bought him a car. We brought it up there, 1954 Chevy. And it wasn't too many months ago that I saw Amelia. She lives in, her and her husband live in Bemidji. And she talked about that car. And so no matter what he did for people, they appreciated it, and they and Dad was reward, <coughs> rewarded for it. <clears throat> In 2013, Mom and Dad had, all, had already retired, left their home at Door Lake, and moved to a senior citizen place. And so I was bringing them to church back and forth. And in March of that 2013, I brought him home after church. And around 4 o'clock, Ma, Ma called and said that Dad's in the hospital. He was on oxygen then, and he, was and he had this long cord in the apartment. And his right leg had no feeling. So when it got wrapped around his foot, he didn't know. It tightened up, and down he went. And it hit his head on the corner of the wall. And five, days, five days later, he was gone. But people still remember things about him. And they still... I hear stories all the time about things that happened. And I could go on and on, but... It's Gus's turn to say something now. So. <laughs> it is? I hear it. Oh, yes. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. This is the word of God. Hallelujah. I believe every word it says. It's for my life. It's for this hour. And the promise is for you, for your life. If you can believe it, you can receive it. Oh, hallelujah. Because God has not changed. He is the same today and will be forever. So on this 4th of July, we're going to talk about the 4th. We could talk about the fourth man in the fire. We could talk about the fourth day. We could talk about the fourth watch of the night when Jesus came walking on the water in the midst of the storm. And the Bible says that he would have passed them by. But they saw him. And they cried out to him. And that's what we need to do, is cry out to God in the midst of the storm. But maybe what's more important is to write this word in our hearts so that when trouble comes, we're ready. We have an answer. And so we're going to talk about the fourth. We're going to start in the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew. Verse 4 says, it is written, Jesus was speaking. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And he was speaking to the devil when he said that. And when trouble comes, that's because the devil has stirred things up. And we need to recognize where the trouble is. And we need to have an answer when he comes to us. And he does come. If he tempted Jesus after 40 days of fasting in the desert, he's going to tempt you and he's going to come and he's going to try to twist your mind. But Jesus had an answer for him. When the devil said, if you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And if you turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 4, it says the same thing. Exactly the same thing, almost, to the letter. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. We know that Satan took him to the top of the temple. He said, if you're the son of man, he said, jump, because it is written. You know, the devil knows the word better than you do. He's been around a long time. But Jesus answered, 
The devil said to him, it is written that he will bear you up. The angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And so when trouble comes, we need to have that word inside of us, this word. We need to have an answer so that we can speak to the devil. We don't always hear his voice. <clears throat> but I remember once in Mexico many years ago, they asked me to go pray for a woman that was dying. And she was a witch doctor. But she had come to church. But I always wondered if she really was saved. If somebody sat down next to her she didn't like, she'd turn her face away from him. She wouldn't even look at him. I thought, well, that must be, you know, the supreme insult. But at some point, she decided, I think, that she had more power than God. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so I went to pray for her. I didn't know what to expect when I got to, to the house. And she was laying there, almost like she was laying on a slab, and she was unconscious. And they said, she's passing black water. And I thought, is that black water fever or is this something demonic? But when I started to pray for her, that demon spoke to me in a loud, audible voice. It was the harsh voice of a man. It wasn't her voice. And he was mocking God. When I think about that, you know, chills still go up my back. She had sold her soul to the devil for his power. And that devil was there to take her to hell. And it was too late for me to do anything about it. I just bound that demon spirit. I said, be quiet in the name of Jesus. And I began to pray in tongues. Because when you pray in tongues, you pray God's perfect will. Sometimes you don't know how to pray. You're praying for the house. You're praying for those people that are still there that are alive. His word has power over the things of this world if we'll mix a little faith with it. Oh, hallelujah. And if you go to the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 4, 
The parable of the sower says that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And so it was unfruitful. And some fell on stony ground, but it had no depth of earth. And so when it grew, the sun came out and scorched it, and it burnt up and died. And some fell among thorns. And when the thorns grew, it choked. It choked out that plant so that it could not grow. But the word says that some, some seed fell on good ground and it produced 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Oh, hallelujah. And Jesus had to interpret that. And he said that the seed sown was the word of God. And the seed that fell by the wayside, that seed that was devoured by the birds, It did not grow. It did not take root. And the seed that fell on stony ground, and I should read that. Mark chapter 4. And the seeds which were sown on stony ground, when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Thank you. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward. But when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And so they fall away. And I think about the lukewarm church today. The day will come when people will be asked to take the mark of the beast. And I'm afraid that there will be a great falling away on that day. And those... <clears throat> Seeds that are sown among thorns, when they hear the word, the Bible says that the cares of the world, the deceitful, deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things 
entering in will choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The word will be choked. And Satan is there and he tries to steal that word. He tries to steal the promise. He wants to steal our faith. He does not want us to believe. Hallelujah. And I think about the fourth day when Lazarus was sick. Jesus knew he was sick, that he was dying. And yet he did not go. But he held back. And he told his disciples, Lazarus only sleeps. And they said, well, that's good that he's, he's asleep. He'll be fine. And then Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And Thomas, called Didymus, said, well, then let us go and die with him. And I thought to myself when I read that, well, there's no faith there. Hallelujah. And when they finally arrived to the tomb of Lazarus, he had been dead four days. Martha said, if you had been here, you would not have died. And the people said, this man who has healed the blind, could he not have caused this man not to die? But Jesus knew what he wanted to do. And that's what he wants to do in our life. Something greater than we have faith for. Something greater than we even dare ask. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you were dead, yet shall you live. And he was talking about Lazarus. And he was talking about eternal life in heaven. But he was trying to raise their faith level so they could receive a miracle. And when he got to that point, he said, take away the stone. Now he could have sent angels to move it but he didn't do that. Holdsmith Wigglesworth said that faith is an act. Sometimes God is waiting on us to do something. And Mary said, but it's been four days. He stinks. You came too late. But, and here's the little bit of light we see. 
She said, but even now, in spite of that, I know that whatever you ask the Father, he will do it. And the word says, they rolled away the stone. Who did it? I don't think it was Martha. She probably wasn't strong enough. But maybe it was Martha that encouraged some of the others to, yes, move the stone. Not knowing what Jesus was going to do. And so that's what he's asking us to do. That stone is a stone of unbelief. And so we need to move that if we expect God to act in our behalf. Jesus said, if you can only believe, you will see the glory of God. And that's our part. We need to believe. And the only way we're going to do that is to write this word in our heart. Oh, hallelujah. We need to stand up in America, in the church, and proclaim what God has done. That scripture... From John, chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus and the disciples were in Judea. And they were on their way to Galilee. And Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. And so you ask, that's a strange scripture. And you all know the story of the woman at the well. But my point is this. It wasn't happenstance. God had a plan from the beginning, just like he did, had with Lazarus. When he says, Lazarus, rise, come forth. And then he said, loose him. And set him free. Oh, hallelujah. So when they got to the village of Sychar, which is in Samaria, Near the parcel of land that Jacob gave Joseph. There at Jacob's well, Jesus sat down and his disciples went into town to get some food. The Bible says to get meat. And a Samaritan lady came for water. 
And Jesus said, give me to drink. And she said, who are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for water? Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. But Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me, and I would give you living water that would well up in you unto eternal life. She said, give me that water that I may never thirst again. Jesus said, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said, I know, you have had five husbands and the one you're living with is not your husband. She said, I perceive that you are a prophet. But the bottom line is she got saved. She got that living water. She not only got saved, she got delivered. Hallelujah. She got set free. The Spirit of God filled her. She rose up in the power of God and went to town and started preaching Jesus. Revival broke out in that place. They had to stay a few days and deal with it. The point is that God had a plan from the very beginning, just like he has a plan for your life. Sometimes we think it's over when it's only just begun. Oh, hallelujah. It's never too late for God. He's always on time. You know, he came to the tomb. They said, you're four days late. He's already dead. Nothing you can do now. It's, it's over. But Jesus had a different plan. To show forth his glory. And that same God is with us today. And he wants to pour out his glory in the church. But it's up to us to believe, to move that stone of unbelief so that God can move in our behalf, so that he can do something supernatural. Oh, hallelujah. And I know it's the 4th of July, and a lot of you have family things going on, but I want to close with this. And it's Old Testament. Daniel chapter 3. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold and decreed across the land that every knee would bow when a certain music was played, that they would bow down and worship this golden image. 
And it came to the king's attention that the three Hebrew children who were his trusted advisors because they had favor in the kingdom, they refused to bow their knee. And so they were brought before the king. And they said, oh, king, we will not bow our knee to this golden image. God has the power to save us from the fiery furnace. But if he does not do that, we still refuse to bow our knees and worship a false god. No one, I don't think, had ever stood up to Nebuchadnezzar. At least no one had ever stood up to him and lived. And so he ordered the fire to be heated seven times hotter than normal. And he called his biggest soldiers, bound them, and threw them in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire, and he saw three men. No, he saw four men walking in the fire, unbound. Oh, I heard a preacher say that God sent an angel to unbind their ropes. I say he didn't have to, they burnt off. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said, well, didn't, I, didn't we send three people into the furnace? He said, but I see four. So he went down and he called them out. And when they came out of the furnace, the Bible says not a hair of their head was singed. Their clothes were not touched by the fire. They did not smell of smoke. That is the power of God. But what's even more incredible is that God, in one hour, changed the nation. And I just want to read what Nebuchadnezzar said. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Oh, hallelujah. And that's what we need in America today. Hallelujah. And God is well able to turn things around. But somebody is going to have to stand up. Stand up for righteousness wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Stand up and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way. That he is still God, he has not changed. He is a God of miracles. He still heals, hallelujah. Oh, praise God, and as we go, you know, I think about uh, Jesus, the words that he spoke to the madman of Gadara. He said, go home. Tell your friends what great things God has done. Hallelujah. Or remember the book of John, the last part of chapter 4. They were in Capernaum, where Jesus had turned the water into wine. The Bible says this is the second miracle that he did. The nobleman came to Jesus. He said, my son is dying. Come and pray for him. Jesus, I think, always tests our faith before he answers. He said, this generation always seeks a sign and a wonder. But the nobleman was not deterred. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He said, but he's sick and he's dying. Come and heal him. And Jesus said, Go your way. Your son is healed. So as we leave today, go your way. God has heard your prayers. Just roll away that stone of faith. Roll it away. Oh, hallelujah. Before we leave, let's just all stand up. We know that same Jesus that stood at the tomb with Lazarus. He's here with us today. That same Jesus that said to the nobleman, go your way, your son is healed. We know that he's here with us today. So I just want you to take a moment. 
What is that one thing in your life that you need God to do for you? Ask it now in faith believing. Say, Lord, do that for me. Jesus, we just come before you in faith. We come believing that you are God, you are Lord, you are all-powerful. You will never leave us nor forsake us, but that you will be with us until the end of time. Heal us in our bodies now. Reach down and touch us. In Jesus' mighty name. Remember that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He's working in you. So we bind every spirit of arthritis that would torment you. We curse it and we cast it down. We curse every disease in your body in the name of Jesus. We speak healing. Life, oh, in Jesus' name. We just speak that abundance of peace over you and over your house. Oh, hallelujah. We just speak that old Irish blessing over you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun always shine on your face. And may the path rise up to meet you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 I have a quick proclamation because I was taking good notes, Gus. Thank you for sharing. Lord, I decide by faith that your word changes my life. You wrote it on my heart. I believe it. Lord, remove the stones, the big stones that bring death so that I can have life. Lord, uh, remove the little stones that help my heart to be good ground when they're removed. Direct me as I spread the word, those that need the seed of the life-changing word. Direct me to those people, and I need you today as the extra person in my life. I am free to share what you have done and what you are doing today through me. I am ready to do your plan through me to change my family, my community, my nation, and the world. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed, and uh, share the word. Mm -hmm.